Welcome to another inspiring message from Milestone Church in Keller, Texas. Once again, we want to welcome you to Milestone Church. I want to welcome those of you in our McKinney campus streaming along, as well as those of you online and watching in our Milestone Church app. Would you join me in welcoming them? Excited for everybody joining along with us. Well, I'm finishing up this two-part series, The Story of Our Lives, and last week we started with this premise. Here was the premise that the most significant, influential invention that impacts our lives on a daily basis is not the wheel, it's not electricity, it's not the internet, it's not the iPhone, it's not the Wi-Fi, as impressive as all of those things are. Nothing impacts our life as significantly on a daily basis as stories. Stories help us make sense of the world. Stories shape the way we see ourselves, the way we see others. And you might be saying, well, hang on, Jed. You're exaggerating. You're getting it out of order. Really, let's be honest. I'm not really that much into stories. I don't go to the movies that much. I don't really watch that much TV. The truth is, even if that's how you would describe yourself, first, you're in the minority, but second, we all use stories every day. If you went to the office this week or, or you're trying to figure out something that's happening at work and, and maybe a department or a manager or a boss or an employee does something, when you try to understand why they did it, you create a story in your mind to help you make sense of that. Maybe you're at Thanksgiving this week and, and somebody in your family did something or said something or, or this happened or that drama happened and you're trying to understand why does it always go that way? Why can't we just have a nice day where we enjoy each other's company? You tell a story in your mind. If you're one of those people who were up late last night watching a seven overtime football game between Texas A&M and LSU, first of all, let me say thank you for joining us. It's appropriate for you to be here because we know what you did during the game. If you're an LSU fan this morning, here's the story you're telling us, you're telling yourselves. The refs cheated us. We got robbed. If you're an Aggie, you're telling yourself all kinds of stories. You do that all the time. You're like... We always knew it, bring on Bama. You're delusional, but we love you anyways. <laughs> Joking. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Corinthians 4. It would be a good time to turn to the Bible. Because here's the thing about God. God knows us about us. He's not surprised. In fact, he made us this way. He made us with this insatiable hunger for stories. Stories have the ability to inspire us, to, to, to teach us, but, but when we talk about God's story, he, he could have chosen so many different ways to tell us who he is. He could have given us rules or instructions or systems, but really more than anything else, God gave us stories. He's a storytelling God because he knew the power for us to be transformed by story. You know, when we hear the word gospel, many of us think of a music genre, or we think of a spiritual word, or we think of some sort of important understanding that I'm supposed to be, ha have some reverence for. Maybe it's about heaven and hell, I'm pretty sure it's about that, and Jesus is in there somewhere, but we have a hard time understanding really what it is. I told you last week, maybe the most helpful definition in my mind, the old English definition of the word gospel means the good story. It's a story worth telling, it's a story worth repeating, it's a story that doesn't just inspire us or teach us, but it actually has the power to change us. I love what the Bible says in Colossians 1, look at this with me, it says this. In the same way the gospel, there's that word again, the good story, in the same way the gospel is bearing fruit. This is a metaphor of it producing good things in your life. It's growing throughout the whole world just as has it been doing among you since the day you heard it 
and truly understood God's grace. So much in that little verse. Sometimes people will say, you know, Pastor Jed, I appreciate the gospel, that's a good foundational thing. It's a good place to begin, but let's move on to the deep things of God. I'm always quick to tell them, don't be so quick to bypass the center, the story, the centerpiece. There's nothing deeper than the gospel. It doesn't just, it doesn't just save us, it sustains us on a daily basis. It has the power to transform us. It's more than just a story. It's the story God's writing through your life and my life. Now, the truth is, not all stories are equal. Not all stories are worth repeating, but when we find a story we like, we like to repeat it, we like to keep telling it. And, so, and you know, pretty much every story has some good things in it, and then there's some unintended consequences, right? We're, we're rapidly approaching Christmas, and every family has different traditions of stories they like to celebrate over Christmas. Maybe in your home you like Home Alone, or you like Elf, or you like It's a Wonderful Life, or may, maybe you like The Grinch, or maybe, I don't know what your favorite Christmas story is, maybe it's Die Hard. Whatever your favorite Christmas story is, you tell them and you watch them. And there are these stories that resonate, that tell, that become big stories, and none of us think, well, I planned my life on this story. But, but the stories we tell, the stories we repeat, they change the way we think about ourselves and about life. I was trying to think of a way to really capture this for us this week, and so I started to think about big stories, and, and, and people who study story and narratives, they talk about archetypes, or meta-narratives, these big stories that make sense of other stories, and one of them that I thought about features this young lady. I'm sure she's familiar to most of you. Now, when I was a kid, and, and, and as a young man before I got married and had daughters, I didn't really think much about Cinderella or her story, but it's interesting to note, Walt Disney didn't invent the story of Cinderella. You can find the, the structure of this story in every culture around the world. And really, if you think about it, every romantic comedy in some way is a variation on the story of Cinderella. Cinderella comes from a broken home. She's got challenges. She's being mistreated. She's suffering uh, under the abuse of some difficult other girls, some peers who tease her and, 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 and make her feel small. But somewhere deep inside, she knows this, this character, there's, there's a princess on the inside of her. She's made for something more. And, and this is a story we see repeated and repeated. Why does this story, is, why is it so present in the lives of so many young ladies? Because I believe it's a divine longing. Young ladies are, every young lady is the daughter of a king, meant to be a princess, meant for more, meant to, to, to live above abuse, meant to live above the challenges of peers, meant to take their place in, in a way where they're special and feel valued. That's the story of scripture. But it's interesting, you know, it's not just Cinderella who feels this way. I don't know if you ever thought about this. You're like, Jed, we don't think about Disney princesses. Well, that's a little bit about my world. There are a lot in my life. Didn't think that was gonna happen when I got married, but, I, but they're around. So most of them have this in common, right? Belle starts out, she wants more than this provincial life. She's dreaming about the world. She wants it all. She's trying to get there, right? I resonate with Ariel, little ginger representation in the Disney world. Now, they make her stay way down under the sea where the harmful UV rays can't get her, but still, she wants to be part of the world. She's got a bad case of FOMO, right? Like, she wants to, be, she wants to experience it. Why? No one wants to live a mundane life. No one wants to live just, you know, just posted up there with, with the birds and, you know, the mice making clothes. That's not the whole life that you want. And so there's this moment where you find your Prince Charming and you go to the ball and, and everybody celebrates you and they see the real you and it's this incredible moment. But, but the story doesn't end there. I mean, the movie ends there. The story doesn't end there, though. I mean, we love that part of it, but, but the challenge 
of that archetype, the unintended consequence. It's one thing to have this big powerful moment to be celebrated when Prince Charming sees you. I wanna know this as a pastor. Is Cinderella still singing bippity boppity boop when Prince Charming comes home and throws his clothes on the floor and won't put away the dishes, right? Like, that's where the magic really has to happen. Because so much of life isn't fairy tale balls. So much of life is mundane and still, do I still feel connected to who I'm supposed to be when things are mundane and they're not so magical? What about guys? There are lots of different pictures I could use, but I thought about this guy. He's really popular, 75 years in, even though he wears his underwear on the outside, he's still popular. <laughs> you know you're cool. When, you, when your catchphrase is simply, I'm Batman, and that's all you have to say, you're cool. And we've tried to mess him up a bunch. Did you see what George Clooney did to Batman in the 90s? That was bad. But we recovered. Ben Affleck's trying to mess him up, but Batman will still be around. Why? Because he's cool. He's the archetype. Maybe every action movie in some way comes back to this guy who, who's a loner, who's strong, who suffers pain, but instead of allowing the pain to destroy him, he takes that pain and he turns it around to be a defender of the weak and to fight for justice and to, to go on adventures and to live for truth. And we get inspired as kids and we all wanna be him, but, but there's some challenges to Batman's story. First of all, he has to wear a mask. No one knows who he is. He lives in this constant duality. Am I Bruce Wayne? Am I Batman? No one knows. He never gets credit for the things he does when he risks his life. Really, also, the other unintended consequences, you don't wanna be close to Batman. It doesn't go really well for the people he loves. There have been like five different Robins because they all die. Part of that could be he's the Dark Knight wearing like black, Robin's wearing like red, green, and yellow, which makes him an easy target for the Joker. That's probably not a great strategy unless that's your goal all along. But here, here's the point. This year, the people who write Batman, they said, let's have an idea. Let's, let's let him be a, a new chapter in Batman's life. Let's let him get married. And so they spent months building up to the moment. And right at the moment where he's about to get married, they're like, Batman can't get married because if Batman gets married, he'll no longer be Batman. Now, I know you don't want to be Batman, or most of you don't. At school, they had the day where, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? My son said, I want to be Batman. So do with that what you will. But, but here's the point. The message, you can't be a hero, you can't be strong, you can't be significant, you can't be fighting for the weak and be a husband at the same time. You may not wanna be Cinderella, you may not wanna be Batman, but the truth is, no one wants to live a mundane, ordinary life where they feel undervalued and passed over and mistreated. No one wants to live a life where they have to wear a mask and no one knows and loves the real version of them. The stories we tell ourselves matter. And so the gospel is this picture of God saying to us, here's the story you were created to live. Don't settle for a lesser story, which brings us back to 2 Corinthians chapter four. I love the people in the church in Corinth. They're so much like you and I. They have challenges, they miss the point, they get fixated on the wrong thing. And here in 2 Corinthians four, Paul's bringing them back. He's trying to help them see, guys, don't get distracted in all the other things happening out there. Think about what really matters. Look what he says, 2 Corinthians chapter four. The God of this age, verse four, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. You say, who is that talking about? Well, the God of this age is the enemy. It's, it's the accuser of the brethren, the father of lives. You might have heard him referred to as Satan. And he's at work. 
And his one, he only has one trick, but it's an effective trick, it's a powerful trick. All he can do is deceive. He lies and deceives and inundates and distracts and get us focused on the things that don't matter so that we miss what's right in front of us. Look what it goes on to say. It says here in verse four, so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. There's resistance in our world. Maybe you've ever wondered, yet if God's so good, if Jesus is so compelling, why don't more people give their lives to him? Well, well I think more people would if they could see him for who they, he really is. They get distracted, they get told that he's something that he's not. They get drawn into a story that's not the real story. I love what the Bible goes on to say. Look here in verse five, it says, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. I love this passage. Here's what Paul's saying. Many of us, we think, well, if the gospel, if this good story is being blinded and distorted by the forces of darkness in the earth, if it's hidden from us, if we can't see it, if there's darkness all around us, how are we supposed to see it? I don't know if you've ever felt that way. Maybe you felt like, Jed, I'd love to believe that God loved me and had a plan for my life. I would love to believe that he had a story, but I can't see it. Everything in my story right now is dark. Everything in my story is pain. I've made mistakes that have impacted the people that I love. The people in my life have made mistakes that have impacted me. If God's here, I can't see him because everything around me is dark. What this passage is saying is, when God shows up in your situation, no matter how dark you may think it be, you may think it is, it's not so dark that his light can't reach you. See, the Bible says when Jesus came that the light came into the world and the light is still coming into the world. Wherever there's darkness in your life, that light is there as well to show you the face of a Jesus who loves you, which is that other verse that I like so much. Maybe you're thinking, this guy, I don't really know if I like him or not. He, he, he seems loud and he's talking about Cinderella and Batman and what does that have to do with the Bible and I don't really get his jokes and I don't watch football. <clears throat> and if that's how you're feeling, it's okay. Because what this is and what the message of the gospel and what church is all about and what Milestone Church it's not about personality. It's not about personal preferences. It's not about demographics. It's not about do I look like you and have I had your shared experience. That's not what we're lifting up. What we're lifting up is the name of Jesus who knows you and understands you and can relate to you in ways that I can't. And if you hear anything valuable, anything meaningful, anything in your life that helps you make sense of the story that you're living, it's a sign that he loves you and he cares about you, and he's present even if you can't see him. Yeah. Verse seven, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Here's what Paul's saying. Be careful. Be careful of where you think the light comes from. What's the purpose of the metaphor of a jar of clay? A jar of clay is ordinary, it's normal. 
It's easy to look right past it and miss the significance, the power, the transforming impact of what's right next to you. Don't miss it because it's right there and available to you. They're in McKinney or watching online. You might be thinking in your mind, maybe you told yourself a story. The only way out of this situation at work, the only way forward for my marriage, the only way forward for my family, and you made up a story in your mind, that story may sound powerful and convincing, but it has no power to save. If there's a hope for your future, if there's a hope for your story, it's the same hope as me, and it's Jesus. You're saying, Jed, what does this passage say? Well, simply, here's how I would describe it. I would say this, God's story is resisted. It's often turned into something that it's not, but the story always comes back to Jesus. It always comes back to Jesus. If you're wondering what's happening in your story, the question you need to ask is, where is Jesus in my story? And the great thing about Jesus is, all you have to do is cry out and say, God, will you show yourself to me? Where are you at in my life? I wanna respond to you. As we just sang, there's no wall he won't kick down, no lie won't tear down to bring you back to himself. Now if you've ever said, you know Jed, I try to do the right thing. I try to tell myself the right story. I, I, I look at my life and my, my job and I look at my family and I, and I think if I could just do this, I would get everything back on track. Well if you've ever felt that way, I, I feel it too, I've done it. Many, many times. So many times I've planned something in my mind and I thought, you know, if I just can get this to happen, everything's gonna go the way I want it to. But so many times when I find myself in that moment and it goes, I, I go, that didn't work out the way I thought it was gonna go. I, I could pick many, many different times, but one thought I had this week I thought you might find enjoyable is early in our marriage. You know, we were three weeks into marriage. My wife was still in college. And I was like, man, I've got this marriage thing figured out. I was all of 22 years old, three weeks in. I was like, here's the whole thing. Everybody says, your wife is your best friend. And so I was like, man, I'm gonna create a moment. I'm gonna create this memory. It's gonna be so fun, because I've had a lot of friends, and I'm good at being a friend. And one of the things my friends and I like to do is play pranks on each other. So I said, here's what I'll do. I'm gonna make this fun moment, and she's gonna laugh, and it's gonna be, this is gonna be this great story that we'll tell years later. It's gonna be awesome. And so I was walking up to our apartment and I could hear from the other side of the door she was listening to music. I was like, this will be awesome. I had a friend one time who was married for a long time and he said, you know what's great to do with your wife? Play pranks on her. I was like, he's been married for a long time. That might be a good idea. He was playing a prank on me. <laughs> I know that now. That would have been useful then, okay? So we, we, I opened the door and I creep in real quiet. I was like, this is gonna be awesome. Put my arm on her shoulder and I just go, ha! And then all of a sudden, her shoulders are up here because she jumped. And I thought she was going to turn around and laugh. You got me. That was really funny. It was awesome. Hashtag blessed. Let's take a selfie. No. She turned around and burst into tears. A week later, when she started talking to me again, she explained what happened. Don't ever do that again. It wasn't funny. That's not how you and I are friends. It's like, maybe I got more to learn in this marriage thing. It turns out, Five or six years later, we were doing some marriage counseling for somebody else. We had this couple, and they were in a tough spot. And I was like, we can help you. We know a lot about marriage. And so I was feeling powerful that day. The Holy Spirit had shown me so much. And so my wife goes, yeah, we can help you. Because the first few years of our marriage were terrible. I was like, time out. Time out on your marriage counseling. What do you mean they were terrible? I was like, you got all this. 
And she wasn't impressed, right? Here's the point. You're like, what does this have to do with anything? Here, maybe in McKinney, maybe watch it online. See, in our minds, we tell ourselves a story. If I can just get it to look like this, here's a great idea. We don't even know where those stories come from. But we get influenced and we start living and acting out a story. Maybe a friend tells us, maybe culture tells us. We start shaping and moving the important things in our lives, but then the outcomes for the story we start telling us are radically different than the outcomes we truly wanted. So how do you get past that? Well, you have to do something so simple. You have to come back, not to just a story or your story or culture's story. You have to come back to the good story you were created to live. And the only way that you come back to that good story is if you know the story yourself. See, it's not enough for me to know it or for your friend to know it or for you to be around it. To be transformed by it, you have to know it yourself. Maybe you've never thought about this. Maybe you said, Jed, this is not something I ever wanted, but, but I found the most useful way to live the life you were created to live, to live the story you were created to live, is for you to have the ability to preach the gospel to yourself. A lot of people are intimidated. I don't know how to share the gospel with others. Well, if you started with sharing the gospel with yourself, your ability to share the gospel with others would go up. And you know what? Your soul needs it every day. As I said, it's not just the thing that gets you in. It's the thing that calibrates you, the things that brings you back to center, the thing that helps you make the main thing the main thing. So the question becomes, how do we preach the gospel to ourselves? Well, the first thing we have to start with is this. We tell ourselves who God is. You need to tell yourself who God is every day. See, there is no good story without a good God. The good God is not something that we tack on to the story that we write for ourselves. We start with him. He's the goal. He's the center. He's the purpose. In fact, you'll discover as you walk deeper in your life with God, that the main character of the story of your life, when your life is the way God intended it to be, is him, not you. And that's not painful for you, that's the most life-giving thing you could possibly experience. When we come in and we say, we're gonna worship and we're gonna lift up his name, we don't sing to God telling him who he is because he doesn't know, we sing because we need to know. See, most of us come to God because we have a need we have a situation, we have something going on in our family, something going on in our health, something going on in our finances, so we're motivated to go to God. God, fix this problem, and the amazing thing is, he's generous, he's loving, he's a good father. He knows everything you need. He cares about the things that keep you up at night. There's not, a, there's not an issue or an anxiety in your life that he's not concerned with. But what makes him so amazing and so good is not his ability to fix our problems. It's the nature and character of who he is. He is better than his ability to fix your problems. Maybe you've never noticed this. I love the 23rd Psalm. 23rd Psalm, the Lord's my shepherd. I love that it says he restores or he refreshes our soul. You know God will do that every day. You, you have challenges and things going on in your heart. You have things that you're upset about. You don't even know what they are. Little time in God's presence can go a long way in fixing your soul the way that changing your circumstances can't always do. But there's this little line in that psalm. Maybe you've skipped it. Maybe you never really made sense. It says this, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. 
Now, I don't know a lot about shepherds and sheep, and so I passed over that. I thought, oh, that's important, that's good. Lie down. I didn't get what it was saying. Here's what that's saying. It makes sense now that I think about it. Green pastures aren't for lying down. There aren't a lot of green pastures in the Middle East. When you find a green pasture, there's one thing that you do. You eat, because you gotta eat while the eating's good, and so when you come to a green pasture, you fight, you get like a dog bowl spirit, you push everybody else away to eat, but that's not what the Psalm's saying. What the Psalm's saying is, when you're with God, he's so good, he's so powerful, he's so loving, you stop obsessing about your needs just so that you can be with him in his presence. I don't know what your need and your challenge is. I don't know where you're at in the story of your life, But I do know this, there's no greater thing you could be called than a friend of God. And to be a friend of God, you don't have to come from the right family, you don't have to know a bunch of Bible, all you have to do is have a heart that says, God, I wanna know you, I wanna love you, whatever you ask me, I'm in. I wanna know you more and God will be your friend. Here's the second thing, we tell ourselves who we are. This is where so much of the conflict happens. We get so confused, there's so many things swirling. Every one of us every day is pulled a thousand different directions by a thousand different expectations. Culture has expectations of you. Your friends have expectations of you. Your family has expectations of you. Make no mistake, you have expectations of yourself. So we live in this swirl of stories and all these things and we're trying to be all these things for all these people and we're dissatisfied with most of them. You know, I was reading this week, professor and anthropologist whose name's Jonathan Gottschall. He's not even a believer. I thought it was fascinating what he said about this. He said, we're critical and skeptical. I think this is true of most of us as people. But when we're absorbed in a story, we drop our intellectual guard. We're moved emotionally, and it seems to to leave us defenseless. How, How does this happen? I don't think any of us intends to live the wrong story. We don't wanna dedicate years of our lives believing things that aren't true, that are in fact are harmful to us. So how does it happen? How do we end up living the wrong story? Because I think all of us can relate to at some moment, coming to a place where we got caught up in a story which was less or harmful or, or, or in the opposite direction of the story we were meant to live. The first thing that happens is we experience emotions. Every day, every one of us every day, You see something on social media, someone says something at work, someone says something at home, one of your roommates or your friends say something, you feel mistreated, you feel slighted, you feel overlooked, or maybe you feel powerful, you feel incredible, you feel like, man, I've got this thing in control, I know everything there is to know about life, and you feel these emotions, and then that second part happens, and you don't process those emotions. See, most of us, we either stuff it, or we push it aside, or we ignore it, but those emotions don't go away. They go deep down in us. If you feel like somebody else got credit for something you deserved, if you feel like you're a victim and everyone always picks on you, if you feel like the reason why your life isn't the way you want it to be is because of someone else, that comes from an emotion that if you don't process it, if you don't deal with it, if you don't cause it to, to, to come against and to be understood through the filter of what God says about you, It doesn't go away, it goes deeper, and then eventually you act on it. Dads, how many times have you been at work and you've been involved in a challenge and a drama and a conflict and you're working on it and and you're on the phone when you come home and, and when you enter the door, your wife says something or your kid says something and you react to them in a way that has nothing to do with them 
It has everything to do with what happened at work. We all do it. Same things, moms and sisters, and it happens at Thanksgiving, and, and somebody gets mad, and it has nothing to do with how the side dishes turned out. It has everything to do with the pain and the hurt and what I'm feeling that I've never really articulated and I don't know what to do with, and because I've never processed it, I end up being resentful and angry and mad, and really I'm mad at myself, and I'm mad at others, because I don't know how to do this. See, the truth is this is a skill. The ability to, to verbalize, the ability to contextualize, it's why we tell you to get in a small group. It's why we tell you to, to talk with others. It's why we say you have to have real relationships. You have to have people in your life that you process with. It's why we talk about mentoring and discipleship and taking next steps. We're not just trying to inundate your life with programs. We're trying to give you the tools that help you not get stuck in a story that's not true, that's keeping you in a place that's damaging your family and your soul. We want to help you get past that because none of us say, sign me up for that life but the trajectory of our lives continues to pull us in that direction. You know, I, I love this about God. He, he, again, he knows this about us. Look what the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 10. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. It's not bad to have emotions. It's not bad to feel things. All of us feel things all the time. You probably can tell I'm a fairly emotional guy. Emotions aren't the problem. The problem is, what do we do with those emotions? Do we allow those emotions to run rampant in our life, or do we preach the gospel to those emotions and make those emotions come under the lordship of Jesus Christ? Because you know the incredible thing is? You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a mature believer. All you have to be is a follower of Christ who says, God, that's the way I want to live. Which brings us to the third thing. We tell ourselves who others are. I think this is such a critical point. I don't know, I was thinking about it this past week and praying about it. I don't know in my lifetime if there's ever been a moment where we've been more fractured and divided and polarized as a world than we are right now. And there are a lot of reasons for that, legitimate reasons. There are geopolitical reasons, there are financial reasons, there are sin reasons, there are challenges. We live in a broken world, there's no doubt. But, but I wanna tell you about a story that's making its way around our world that's very, very popular, that's very, very damaging because it's easy to take as true. Here's the story, the story is, there's a world out there, there's the life that you want, there's the job that you want, there's the family that you want, there's the children that you want, there's the future that you want, but there's not enough to go around. And so the world is overpopulated and under-resourced and there's not enough opportunity and God can't provide for everyone. So everyone else who's out there who doesn't look like you is trying to take what belongs to you and what you deserve. Now while that message drives ratings, it's toxic for your soul. I'm not saying there isn't sin. I'm not saying there isn't challenges in the world. I'm not saying there aren't ideas that are toxic and damaging, but what I'm saying is this. That's not the story God created you to live. Jesus said, the world will know you love me by the way that you love others. He didn't stop there. He said, anybody can love their family and their loved ones. Will you love your enemies? Jesus didn't just say, love others the way you like to receive love, like the love languages. He took it a step further. Jesus said, 
Love others the way I have loved you. Now, I understand, guys, I'm just like you. This doesn't come naturally to me. I have to work. I have to think. I have to preach to myself to remember the rest of the world's not trying to take what's mine. My wife will tell me. She'd say, you know what? You need to work on your resting face. I was like, I didn't even know I had a resting face. She goes, yeah, it's the face that you just come back to, and you look mad most of the time, which is not good because you're a pastor. I was like, I got the joy of the Lord. She's like, tell your face. <laughs> See, I'm a subtle guy. I like, like nuanced truth. No, I, I, and she was right. She was right. And so I have to work about this. So I've been working personally. So everywhere I go, whether I'm in the line or I'm in the grocery store, if I'm exercising, if you see me out somewhere in the city riding a bike or running, I always make it a point to smile at the person when I'm passing them, to say, how's it going, to wave, to come out of myself. Because here's the thing, the more we obsess, the more paranoid we are about our story, and is it going to happen the way we want it to happen, the more disconnected we are from God. He's really smart. In fact, the more you make it about serving and loving others and helping them find out the story that God's trying to write in their lives, the more you'll experience his peace and his goodness and his power in your life. I put these two little cards in your service guide. First is this red one. If you have it, hold it out. I don't want you to just drop this in your purse or put it in a Bible somewhere. I want you to put it in your pocket or your jacket or put it in your wallet. And here's what this little card does. I gave it to you last week. All you gotta do is, if you're in line at Starbucks or if you're at the movies or if you're on a play date or you think about bringing something to work for somebody, bringing donuts or bringing something with a little card that says, listen, I know you've been going through some stuff. I know things have been difficult. We hope this small grift brightens your day. It's a simple way to say God loves you. For those of us who are doers, who are more introverted, who like to let actions speak louder than our words, this little tool is a great way for you to get your eyes off your story and to consider what God might do in the life of someone else. For those of you who like just a good old fashioned, you're more extroverted, you like talking to people, you just wanna invite them, here's a little card and all it says is, hey, you're invited, it's Christmas at Milestone. You think, well, everybody has a place to go to at Christmas time. Let me trust you with this, trust me on this. This place, is gonna be filled with people who feel passed over, who feel like they've blown it, who feel like they've missed it, who feel God feels a million miles away. And if you bring them, if you ask them, they'll come. And if they come, Jesus will call them home and it'll be a miracle and they'll, their lives will be changed and you'll get to experience the power of seeing someone you love changed for, it, for not just this moment and to have a better 2019, but their eternity to be changed and their family to be changed. And, and let me tell you, when you're part of that story, it's impossible for your story to stay the same. Say, Jed, is God just thinking about someone else? No, he loves you. You're made in his image. He cares about you. They're online. You may think no one sees, God sees. I love this about our church. Last weekend after service, we were shaking hands. Nine-year-old boy came up with his grandmother. Grandmother said, tell him. He said, I, I, I don't normally come into church. I don't normally listen, but, but I listen to you. And, and when you were speaking, I heard God speaking to me. He said, I thought I was boring. I thought no one cared about me. God cares about me. Heard about Freedom Weekend last weekend. 82-year-old woman came to Freedom Weekend, wants to be free, wants to live life the way God created her to live it. 
Her daughter was there after the last service, said, she's going to be in the next service. She wants to come. She came. She took an Uber to get to Freedom Weekend, and she told her Uber driver to come to Milestone. What an incredible thing. You're never too young or too old. Monday night, I was teaching 301. Man came up, he said, Jed, thank you so much for telling me about the Bible. He's like, I'm 61 years old, I grew up Catholic. I'm getting baptized next weekend because I believe God's not done writing the story of my life. You're never too young, never too old. God's here and he wants you to tell a story worth telling. Not a story someone gave you, not a story someone spoke over you, but the story you were created to live. Let's pray. Jesus, we sense your presence. We sense your peace. You're the good God that makes the story so good. Maybe you're here and you say, Jed, I feel so far, so distant. All that sounds good, but it sounds like it's for someone else. Maybe you think, I I don't need God, I'm doing fine on my own. Anybody ever met who said that? And there have been a lot of them. They were really honest. If they took the mask off deep down, what they really wanted was peace with God. The great news is you can have it right now in this moment. Better than fixing your challenges, better than meeting your needs. God won't just meet your needs, he'll show up in your life to change you and make you the person you were created to be. Maybe you've heard that, prayed that prayer. Maybe it's time to remind yourself. Can you tell yourself that story? When was the last time you told your soul, don't forget this is who God is. Don't forget, this is who you are. Don't forget, this is who the people in your life are. They're made in God's image. He wants to use you to call them home. God, I pray that all of us would come to a new understanding of who you are and we become better at telling the good story that changes our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Milestone Church. We hope it's been an encouragement for you today. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast or discover who we are by visiting our website at milestonechurch.com.